Welcome to the Catch Up, the uh, Food Beast's Food News Podcast. I'm Eli Aruth. And I'm Jeff Kutnick. And we are the co founders of Food Beast, and we are going to bring you some hot takes on the underbelly of restaurant economics. Whoa. Super sizzling hot takes. So, uh, Braden, without further ado, could you hit that beautiful intro music? On the show today, we have Chef Cody Stortz. Did I say that right? Yeah. On the show today, we have Chef Cody Stortz, a Southern California executive chef, operating or consulting for over 30-plus restaurants in the Southland. Damn! And also created the best ribs I've ever eaten in my life. Got some fire ribs, bro. <laughs> some fire ribs, Cody. <laughs> we have Cody because uh, neither Jeff or I are chefs or restaurant owners. So I'm a frequenter of restaurants. And I don't know shit. And I have a very brief history of working front of house in a restaurant. And that gives me like a limited window, which I'll comment, I'm sure, at some point. But that's why we have you here, Cody. We want to bounce some questions on, on what it's really like in those kitchens and in those restaurants. It's sweaty, 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 gold bond supported, support, support, <laughs> buddy. It is one big uh, steam bath of love. Let me tell you all about it. Oh, I, <laughs> Cody, this is, you know, we're drinking Moscato right now because I realized on, from the last podcast, I swear a lot and I was going to bring a, a swear jar because I, I don't like give a shit. Fuck. Damn it. Hold up. <laughs> oh, Wait, damn. you're going to drink every time. So you every time, cause I don't have a swear jar. I'm going to need an insulin and, shot. And every time, <laughs> every time I swear, instead I'm going to take a sip of this, uh, rather disgusting Moscato. I didn't realize that's what we were having drink. Well, I thank you sort of. And so, uh, but you might like it, Cody. I don't know. Uh, well, thanks. I, I left my uh, masculinity at the door, so we'll see if this works out for me. <laughs> uh, chef, what's an actual average chef workload of like your caliber executive chef in a restaurant? Again, uh, restaurants can differ, but for the average chef in a metropolitan area of your stature, is that six days a week, 12 to 14 hour days? Like that's what's in my head. Is that like, is no, that accurate? I, I, would, I would honestly say, depending on what, what happens and the style you're at and how busy you are, that's actually low. Um, what, what's, what's, what's crazy, man, is that it, the business is, what you're putting out in the world is exactly you. So as you guys know, you can't really find everybody in the world that's you. So what you're doing is trying to make you be present all the time. So until you can figure out how that happens in each restaurant that you're doing, you gotta be you and you gotta be there. Uh, so I've been lucky enough to have places where I've had people support me a hundred billion times percent and I work less and I've had places where nobody shows up and I don't go home until, until the lights are off and I'm the one that turns them on. So, um, luckily in the last little bit, I've done a lot of restaurant turnovers, uh, restaurant turnovers are more like you take it on, you put in somebody else that does the cooking mostly for you development, you do the front of the house, that's less work. Uh, but when you're actually taking it on like the project I'm about to, it's, it, it's your whole life, man. It is what you do. That's fascinating because I think why well, I'm glad you're here is you've done everything. Like you've been a greeter at a restaurant. Yeah, man. I was a, <laughs> I was a freaking smiling people greeter. I wore the bird outfit at Red Robin at one point, dude. My fat legs wouldn't fit through the little things. It was so tight my balls came out of my throat when I wore that thing. <laughs> But that's a true story, dude. I, I was a fucking bird at Red Rod. Uh, do I have to drink this? Crap? You don't have to. This is my swear jar. I, oh, man. This isn't like a moral thing. I'm just trying to challenge myself. I hope it's not moral because I don't want to have many of those left. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's pretty horrible, dude. So go on, go on the journey real quick just because yeah. for me to know that sure. you're, you know what I mean? Like show us the different stages that come with 
reaching your level of success, right? Like you, you start off as a greeter and then everything yeah, in between. So, so I have, my story's, ah, oh, fuck man, I, I wish everybody, um, damn, really? All right. <laughs> you really shouldn't do what I'm just doing. I'm not going to, dude. I probably You're have to do it. How about every third and somebody sure. else can count? We'll call it even. Uh, basically, my, my story started off different. I never wanted to be a chef. I, I was like a home cook and I was a fat kid. I was like 240 pounds, I'd get, or 340 pounds. I should have get the hundreds right. <laughs> Uh, and I had gastric bypass surgery in the middle of all this like story. So we'll start with there. Uh, I was actually a front of house guy. I was a people greeter and then was like, oh, I want to be a bartender. So that was like five because I thought that was cool. And for some reason, my mom supported that, which I'll never understand in my life. Uh, so, but, I, but, I, but I did that. So I aspired to be a bartender. I was, went and worked at Fridays. I, did, I sold women's shoes at the same time because I couldn't make money. I was like, oh, I'm going to be in the restaurant business. It's cool. Next thing you know, I'm opening Fridays. I was a server, a bartender there. Cool, cool environment. Fridays has the craziest, probably still, I have no idea it's been so long, but the best training on the planet. So after you 10 bar there and open there, you can go work anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right. So I got to where I was making good money. I got into a private sector in downtown Fullerton. I was at Stubricks forever, which is at the time there was like five bars in Fullerton. So on a Wednesday night, you're four deep. Yeah. You know, hot chicks everywhere. But that was like my life. Explain Fullerton to someone who does not live in California. Uh, well, Fullerton per per square inch has more bars than uh, Louisiana at Mardi Gras, what? right? Wow, yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's so per, per the, the 10 blocks or whatever that is, Fullerton technically has the most bars for the country. So if that says anything. So you're in the, you were in the right place. So I was in the right place. Involved. And at the time, at the time that wasn't the case and there was the same amount of people. So yeah. we, we were slammed. So uh, it, it's a great place. There's like five colleges right there. It's happening. Mm. I was like 24, 25. I was like, this is a good party for sure. Uh, and I decided at a certain point that I wasn't going to tend bar forever. I kept looking at like the old guys, you know, you're the old by bartender at the hotel. <laughs> and I'd like go on like a Sunday when I got off and take two days and always the old guy's like, what are you doing, buddy? I'm like, I'm off, man, <laughs> and I don't want to be you, right? And I'm not going back to college. So uh, I decided I, I like to cook at home, and um, I, I, had, I was like, maybe I'll go to culinary school because the only thing in the restaurant, I didn't know at the time, really, I'd run restaurants, open restaurants, general manage, bar manage, bartended, freaking served forever, uh, that maybe I'll learn the kitchen, and that way when I open a place, uh, I won't be fucked by my kitchen, basically, sure. right? Like, oh, I'll know if this guy's screwing me or not, I can watch. And that's the only reason I went to culinary school. It's like, well, I could learn how to do something with my hands besides bullshit for a living. Like, <laughs> if the world comes to an end, I'm not going to talk my way out of much. Yeah. So I'll learn how to cook. Um, and so that's what I did is I went to culinary school and, and I, I really didn't know anything. And I uh, grabbed hold of that and they ended up taking me for the journey and I learned how to create one good plate. That's why I explained culinary school. You can make one really good plate, sometimes two. But 20, you're fucked, yeah. right? There's no way. They don't teach you that, right? So uh, I ended up going to doing my externship uh, in uh, overseas for a little bit. And I came back and I, I, like everybody else who graduated culinary school, thought I know everything. Right? Right. I could take over the world. Any kitchen is mine, right? Uh, soon did I know that I knew jack shit. Uh, I really didn't know anything about, anything about production. I didn't know anything about what it was, but I knew how to make a plate. Okay. So my career kind of started backwards from everybody else's. It starts at a kitchen. So I was getting hired at a culinary school to like help restaurants develop concepts because I could be like, this plate should look like this, but I couldn't tell the kitchen how to make it. Yeah. Right. So I had to learn from them how to make food and kind of worked. I came out as a chef by title, but didn't earn it till many late, long, long time later and got into, got into uh, catering. 
And at catering, I was doing all the Coachella's, stagecoaches. You know, I did Bonnaroo, I did South by Southwest. I so you're dealing in volume. You got yeah. That so I, I was like, dude, I could barbecue, which you guys saw the barbecue, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could do, I could do ten thousand pounds of barbecue in a weekend, no problem, right? But you asked me to cook in a restaurant, and I was like, uh. that's how we first met. The first time I met you, uh, we were at a restaurant called Grits, mm-hmm. and you walked out. You introduced us. You introduced yourself, and oh, yeah. we had some great, we had some great barbecue. at a huge, uh, I was like a huge shank, like a beef shank on yeah, a bed of old, grits. Big old, big old pork shank, big old pork shank, pork shank. Be- oh. Beef's cool. If you like like that sort of thing, but pork's where the game is, dude. Mm. Sorry to stand you off track. I just want to make sure I'm clear, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're back in Fullerton at that point. Yeah, man. So th- this is uh, so so I, I and then I, I kind of toured around and then I can only work six months of the year doing events, which you guys know, man. Events are like there's taxing. event time and they're taxing and that's all you can do and you can't do it in the rest of the world. If you take something on, it's got to end before event time. Yeah, and start back up. Uh, so like every uh, gentleman does at some point, you have a kid. And I had a kid and was like, hey, man, I need to, I can't just be gone six months out of the year, whether it's good, bad, ugly, or fun, or whatever. And so I started consulting restaurants more on the chef side. Uh, the first project when I turned over to stop doing those events was uh, Hopscotch in downtown Fullerton, which we, we took from, uh, it's barely opening into a, a great spot, and it's still there today doing whatever they do now. Yeah. Um, and then I've then attached my name to things to just grow, man. And every spot I've grown into a new avenue of who I am, and... Now I've I've had three or four restaurants that have been really successful, including Grits, um, and here we are. How's that feel leaving? Like tying your name to a restaurant and leaving because you don't own those th- those places at the time. No, you're man. You're a consultant and a chef. Yeah, well, here, the crazy thing is you're a consultant on some those ones you know you're leaving, and then you're an owner on a couple where you just get you know the shaft, bro, and you learn from every one of those too. And that's the other side of this business is it's it's very very cutthroat. You know, so everybody tells you something. Oh, yeah, man, we'll give you this. We'll give you that. And if you're not signed on the dotted line, there's a good chance you're going to get rode out on a rail, man. But no matter who you are, they think they can do it better. Yeah. But they think you're expendable, which, you know, luckily, not that I liked it when I leave things fall apart. Because trust me, that breaks my heart every time you put your heart and soul into something. Uh, but that's what's been happening. So the problem doesn't usually lie in the person that leaves and does it, right? I mean, obviously, I can learn from everything. But How prevalent is the handshake deal from restaurant owner to chef in comparison to how many of those deals actually get inked in some form of equity or uh or a decent salary or whatever and how much have you seen just like so many handshake deals why i ask is because you're probably one of a dozen different chefs over time that I've had conversations with that have mentioned this went differently than what it was presented to me. And now either I'm stuck or I have to maneuver. I hear that constantly. So is that just, am I hearing the 12 stories around me and it's a minority or would you say that's no, dude, that's 99.9% of the chefs oh, out there, dude. Let's say of all the deals I've ever made in the last 10 years, um, None of them has 100% come to fruition, even if I did my part. Some of them, I didn't do my part because I was like, I'm out, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's all their fault, but not one, not one of them has come to 100% uh, fruition. So um, the deal I'm in right now is finally, I think I'm old enough at, at 39 to not be that guy and not align myself with people that do that and start aligning myself with people that are in a different industry that are successful business people and bring back to the restaurant versus people that are like, I always wanted to be in the restaurant business. <laughs> I always wanted to be your best friend and have a party at my restaurant. My grandma makes great spaghetti. You know, that kind of stuff. And that happens a lot, man. And I, I think that when you're growing as a chef and you want to be an artist, 
And that, that's where a lot of these guys get, get lost is like, cause that's what you are. I mean, and technically, but when you want to be an artist and that's your drive and somebody goes, dude, I'll give you all this. You're like, absolutely, man, I'll take it. I'll do, what do I got to do? And you get down, you're like, Hey man, it's been five weeks. Where's my check? And they're like, it's coming. You're like, you know, now I'm still the artist, but there's no business savvy in being an artist. And I hear that. I think that's a lot where that comes from, right? You're giving somebody their dream. Like, you know, you're telling a painter, no matter what you paint, I'm going to give you a million dollars. And no matter how good it is, somebody can tell you it's not good enough. So is that where same a lot principle. of the friction comes from? Like chefs, because the chefs that Jeff's talking about are some of the same chefs that I know. Extremely right. talented. Right, yeah. And when given the opportunity, could run with it. But what's going on on the back end? Like what the heck is going, like are, is the owner or whoever decided, I'm going to put up some of my, my, my money, my parents' money, whatever, right. help you build. Like do they have an idea of how it should run? Or Man, I just think nobody gets what the validity of the restaurant business is. It's not, you know, if, if somebody tells you, hey man, I got 100,000 to open a restaurant. The truth is you need double that. Doesn't even matter what you're thinking. Whatever you're thinking it's gonna be, <laughs> double it. And if you don't have that, don't do it. Or if that's not easily to risk. And if you don't have a team to back you that can support it, knowing what you're doing, right? Your first restaurant you're gonna open, you have no clue. You know how many things you're gonna have to, to re, you know, reinvent yourself. I'm sure it's this way with every business, but with this one especially, I, I explained to somebody the other day, I go, imagine if everything you did, like if you built cabinets for a living and you're trying to bid against you know, cabinet people in your area within 15 miles, there may be 10 cabinet people, 15 cabinet people within miles. You can like look at them and get quantities. You can go, okay, I can compare myself to this genre. But if you're a chef or you're a bartender, or you're a server, within 10 blocks, how many of you are there? Not including the ones in your restaurant. So you're one of 10 in your spot. There's 10 restaurants right next to you. They have 10 to 15, and you're not even two blocks away from where you are. How do you become individual, and how, what does it case money-wise and support-wise to find the individuality? How many times do you have to reinvent yourself? And I just think people don't understand the reality of what it takes to be on top of that game. And I don't know if I'd have known if it wasn't for trial and error, right? I mean, it's not like, I don't think you can read a book, right? They're like, don't do this. You're like, I didn't do that, right? I mean, yet still went south or not. So if that answers your question, man, I mean, it's like. It did, it seems like there's some friction on the back end. And the whole reason we started this conversation was we read this really interesting article on the Bold Italic, was it, Jeff? Right, right. Yeah, Stephanie Doucette, writer for the Bold Italic, talked about the racial and economical divide that happens between front of house and back of house. Yeah, it's a fascinating read for those who haven't read it and they're listening to this, go read that. We'll link that in the description and stuff. One of the interesting points that I read was being a white server like led to yeah. the one hearing hearing the amount that some servers can make in a fine dining restaurant i yeah. was like i should probably leave foodies and go <laughs> that what the hell am i doing <laughs> like hundreds of like a hundred thousand dollars i'm sure it comes in comes in waves i'm curious how you feel if if front of house can make a hundred grand how and when you say front of house, he means Servers, fine dining waiters and waitresses and maybe squeezing into craft bartenders. I'm not sure you could check that for me, but right. we do know that, the, and especially the report that the article mentions, which was done by UC Berkeley and UC Santa Cruz, which is called Ending Jim Crow in America's Restaurants, where they were mentioned, <laughs> they, <Yeah. laughs> they were specifically mentioning that servers in the Bay Area could earn upwards of $180,000 being a server. Right. And they're next to, working next to, $30,000 line cooks, right? And so that disparity, maybe it's the most in San Francisco being a fine dining right. town and obviously the most expensive place to live in the United States. But 
how much of that disparity have you seen and how fair or unfair is that disparity man that 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 big spread is few and far between okay. i mean that's not that's like, not realistic that's not i mean yes there's going to be places as that happens usually the back of the house guys are going to get paid more um i mean your sous chefs chefs depending on what it is those are all based on volume mm-hmm. um a lot of those guys that are going to work in frisco they can't live on thirty thousand a year right so it's not like and i think base salary now even in california is like 48 for minimum wage you know so um I don't think I don't think that's that's the hard part. I think that there's a defining line. I think and I I think that's the way the restaurants work, right? Like, I mean, I, I have a whole opinion based on it, on the minimum wage increase and what it is and what it takes to make a restaurant operate. The margins on food, even in fine dining, the reason they charge so much is because there's so many people on the floor. You have to pay for those people somehow. In order to produce a fine dining plate, it takes several more hands than it does to put together a cheeseburger, right? I can make a hundred dollar cheeseburger that really cost me ninety eight bucks. Right. You know, so what are you paying for where you go, right? So I, I don't think the actual, what it, those things are valid. Not only that, but the person that is making 180000 or the, that amount of money that's coming in or 100000 whatever it is, the amount of tip out it takes for that server to do that, they're probably tipping out 30 to 40%. So to me, that seems a little far-fetched. I know servers that are professional servers in New York that make over six figures. They work six days a week. They're the only ones in their section. They're, you know, they're in, st- in establishments where the clientele is not worried about a percentage on tipping. Mm-hmm. They're tipping because they see them every month. At Christmas, they get $10,000 bonuses because of these people. This is a world that we don't live in, right? right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, we could go there once and probably never go again, right? Like, this is, so that may happen, but it's not in my scope. Like that, that difference is not in my scope of, of work. Well, but then let's talk about tipping in general, right? Because tipping in any restaurant will typically go to front of house. Right. It's technically illegal to tip for anybody to collect, collect a tip now in California that doesn't directly touch the customer. Really? Yeah. What does that mean? So like you can't tip like, the like a, res- a restaurant, a, a server cannot technically tip the kitchen if the kitchen is not direct contact with the guest now. That sounds like some bullshit. Well, Fuck. let's be honest for a second. Yeah, drink up there, big baddie. You're right there. Uh, it is. It's crap, man. I mean, I, 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 don't, I think a restaurant should be able to function however it wants to function. The deal is everybody wants their money or their peace or whatever it is. Um, and a restaurant to function, I mean, on a normal food establishment, making 15 to 20% just on food is a good number, man. I mean, that's, that's a I good wonder number. I why that is. Why, why, why is that? Why, why do I have to, why can't I give money to the server knowing that it could go to the chef or the sous chef or the line cook. You should be able to. I mean, I, I vied on the last deal. I'd be like, how, why don't we put a line that says server tip, kitchen tip, right? That's kind of tight. It's kind of cool, but then people are like, what do I tip double? Then what do I drip the server? Then, then the people that are serving, how do they tip out? I mean, it just creates a dichotomy in, like the, in a system that isn't really broken. So do you get rid of right? <laughs> like, Do you get rid of the, the tip line and make make things a bit more expensive and, and have your manager well, decide. Where let's, let's look at like, let's look at a couple of restaurants that did it. Like uh, okay. Noah, Noah did it at Arc, mm-hmm. right? And a real establishment, smaller restaurant, does great. The guy does really well business. Um, I, I believe it was a Marin, one or the other, I'm not sure. Um, but he did, yeah, he did and uh, raised all the prices and had to get rid of it because people were like, oh, it's too expensive now. And he's like, yeah, but you don't tip. And nobody understood 
Like no one the, made is, that no one made yeah, that correlation, no, right? It was just went, oh, like, oh, it's shit, more it's expensive. expensive. Yeah, that's it, right? So, and that's a clientele that has has money, right? Imagine mm. if you did a clientele that was that didn't have money that had that option or not option, right? I guess it's kind of like the nine ninety nine theory. You don't think it's quite ten bucks? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I I don't know, but I I think there is a, a line to that that's crazy, man. I mean, it's the tipping thing's a, an interesting beast for sure. And I can speak upon when, when again, the nine-month period that I worked at a fine dining restaurant. Right. But to me, from my perspective, as much, I was a busser, right? And I worked for a specific server on a specific shift. And from the back of the house, from exec chef down to line cooks to front of house, like the only way it worked was every cog of the wheel was turning. Right? There, yeah. Everyone had to be moving right or the experience faltered in some way or the other. If I, didn't, if I didn't bring your bread or give you a refill on water at some time, the experience dropped at the same time. If, you, if the server didn't serve you from the right side or whatever, the experience dropped or the timing from the back of house. And so to me, it was so much about teamwork. And for it was also a bit weird because it was my first job within the restaurant industry and it was also fine dining. So I was also getting tipped out heavier than some of the people who had been working in the dish pit right. for years. So how did you get tipped as a busser? Like, did you do, if I'm a guest at your restaurant, did I, do I tip you? No. Like, so it, what Cody had mentioned yeah. earlier, 30 to 40% of a waiter or waitress's tips, he, he or she is tipping out is right, a, the busser or anyone it, else that's assisting. Some stuff from restaurants so, is that a like almost like an unspoken code of ethics? No, you do, or is it actually like a part of like yo thirty percent? No, it's like on the wall, man. Like your your bartender gets you know five percent of all your okay. booze sales that they make for you. Your mm. busser gets three percent. Your host gets one point five percent. All the people that are what they call support. So all the people that touches your guests, they're going to get a piece of that action, right? Whatever it is. Some of it's off a of percentage of sales. Some restaurants say it's of what you make, which is a guess. Mm. Um, now with credit cards screwing up the game, it makes it harder, right? <laughs> Sorry, I said that, Uncle Sam. I don't mean it at all. However, uh, that's, just the, that's just the bottom line, man. Is that they, 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 That's how it goes with the service. So now you're starting to throw in kitchen. That's why they made the rules, mm. right? So how do you control where that money's going? Now at the end of the year, like when I was a server, I used to write off what I taxed out. So I claim whatever I claim, and then I would go, I, I don't, I tip out 45%, here's the rules, uh, and then I would get, you know, a new motorcycle. Gucci, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a very low budget motorcycle. <laughs> but yes, that, you know, I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to is, is that you have to do that as a server. That's, so, how, that's, how, and that's so, the system you're in. Right? And so that. back to my point was it was very much a team because even though the guy in the dish pit that didn't get tips and from what I understood, didn't get tips. Right. If he didn't give me the silverware that I needed, right. that affected my tips. Right. And so to me, from my perspective, it's always been this, this teamwork. Right. And when tipping only goes to certain people, and I will also say that, you know, I'm half Asian, I'm half white. I immediately walked into a tipping job when multiple people couldn't walk into that tipping job. They couldn't leave the dish pit and they weren't going to the, leave the dish pit for a long time. So that was probably also my first major experience with, uh, with just being so lucky, yeah. right? That I am of a certain race and 
I can be presentable in front of house. Like it's this entitlement, right? And so that was my first experience with that. And I always felt a little guilty that as someone with little experience, so, and to give you some more context for where I was, I was in a fine dining restaurant, right? Other bussers that I was working with in their mid forties, right? Mm. But then there were like some white kids like me that were young and presentable that could be next to the guy who'd been bussing for decades. And I'm doing the exact same thing as him. And I'm making pretty much the exact same money. And I'm doing 15% of a good job as that guy is doing. And so that to me was also a bit of a hard pill to swallow because Roberto, Erasmo, and Arturo can kick my ass in relation to busing and serving and everything. And then there I was, right? Um, not so I've always had a, a, a little <laughs> bit of an issue reconciling that. Yeah, I've never worked in a restaurant. So it's fascinating right. like hearing that from you, Jeff, and then also reading that article on the Bold Italic where right. there's a there's such a, a, a... I didn't realize how much of a thought process goes into hiring your waiter or waitress. Like you need a... You need, in air quotes, a bubbly person, a comfortable person that doesn't you know offend a customer yeah you got to cover your basis yeah you and so but you also need you also need you all, there also is the basis of you need them as well so i like any like any, like say you go to a car dealership this applies there too sure right i mean this is the same i mean I, it's not just restaurants i mean this is a this is every business you don't go to you don't go to nordstrom's and the dude selling the shoes is the same dude stocking the shoes Okay. Right. Sure, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm just saying yeah, it. Right. Yeah, it's not no. the same. Right. So the, the same quality goes, but it, definitely in a restaurant, there's more. There's more moving parts. And get back to what you're saying. There's more moving parts in a restaurant than I think any other industry. More moving parts. Like technically, at the same time, everything yeah. has to be going at once. So you have a 200 seat place. You have probably 10 servers. Each one has every two servers have a bar back. You have bartenders. You have 12 to 15 cooks. You have ticket printers, computers, internet lights, music, TVs, uh, you know, maybe the sound transfers. Like, I mean, you're talking the moving parts, not just people. What does it take to make that happen? And I think it takes every, it, and, and it's one industry I can't say, it does take every group, uh, minority all the way up to everybody, their work ethics that I think come with them being social to make that happen. And I mean, I've had some white kids come in that are the best dishwashers I've ever had in my entire life. And they love the dish pit. We give them more money because we're like, handle it. Yeah. Right, he can keep up with freaking <laughs> Manuel, whatever. I'm like, I don't know how you do that. I couldn't do that, right? Like, maybe my prime when I wanted to for a day, right? But not, not yet. And I, it still happens the other way too. But I think that you're, I think it, you have to cover your basis, and it's not just because it's a racial thing. It's because it, it comes with work ethic and structure and style of what 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 it needs for that business to really win. That's fair because I think what I didn't see in that particular bold italic article was the perspective from a business owner. And I think right. we can kind of bring that here with the three of us is would you, if I, like if I'm hiring a salesperson, if they can't speak to the people that I need to talk to, that's right. like not my first choice. I don't care what race you are or, or anything or your makeup there. So same idea if like the first thing you tell a customer is to go fuck themselves. Right. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that wine is freaking like horrible. You, <laughs> yeah, you, you hire kind of the best person suited to that job. It doesn't, answer the fact that there's some back of house things that could be fixed or right. evened out the playing field because j the salesperson that you need to hire needs just as valuable in my opinion someone who can 
organize their leads and organize that stuff the way that De Jeff needed someone in the right. dish handling pit, like giving him the cleanest silverware he can. Because if Jeff hands a dude a fork with crumbs on it, like Jeff's not getting tipped out and the whole right. process kind of falls apart. Right, so that's, it comes back to, is the system, was the system really broken in the beginning? Right, mm -hmm. like, like, is it like everybody keeps trying to change the tipping system and change minimum wage and change everything and change what the philosophy is because we need to care about the people. And I believe I support my employees 100% as much as I can. Right, if the restaurant has X amount to pay, you pay the people that are there. You try to support as many people as you can. But is the system broken? And we need those people. And if we start paying the dishwasher double money or we tip the dishwasher out, then your lead line cook. He's making the same amount of money. Now his skill goes down, so now I got to pay. Mm. Now, now you've started a, a a landslide, right? Now what do you do? Just catch the you got to start over, right? You catch you catch the rocks as a business owner. Mm -hmm. So, to me, I keep going back to you know we got to find a reality because this business to me is 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 slowly crumbling because pretty soon your burger will be ninety nine bucks and it, you're getting the same nine dollar burger Ooh. because of what we're putting in it. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> are we gonna bubble? Just throwing is, this, are we, is the restaurants gonna like what's what's well, going well, think on? About Where it. are we at right now? Well think well think about it, dude. How many fine dining restaurants do you know right now that you that you would go to once a year? Okay. Once every two years. Fine dining. Fine dining. When's the last time you <laughs> went to a fine dining restaurant? <laughs> Mastro's. Right, that's what I mean. <laughs> two years ago. So two years ago, Mastro's. Not even fine <laughs> dining, dude. <laughs> All right, how about you? Fine dining. I mean, I go to fine dining every once in a while in Vegas, like Guy Savoie or something like that. But, right, right. So that's, that's a very once, twice a year max experience. Yeah, okay, so me too. I'll like go out of the bubble. I'll be like, cool, this is a $500 dinner. I just want to experience. Usually I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> Why did I just do that? I can make that shit in my garage. However, if the experience there, the service is good. You want to go check out the billion dollar place, right? Whatever yeah. it is. But that's once, twice a year. And that's very rare, right? The reason is... Nobody, one, can afford it. The same group of people are going out that have that kind of money. But they used to go out all the time. Now they only go out a little bit, little bit, right? The middle class used to be able to splurge, but they can't afford to splurge more than once or twice a year at most, right? And then your gastropubs, remember when gastropubs came out and they were like, same price as Chili's and Fridays, right. but the food was epic. I, yeah. But you didn't mind, right? You didn't mind paying the extra couple bucks, right? Like, remember it was always a $10 burger and then the $15 burger came? Yeah. And you were like, it's gangster. Yo, we split <laughs> right? the And you're like, damn, bro. Like, when that happened, now that $15 burger is 22 bucks, man. Why? Because we... Uh, we we hiked up minimum wage. We started messing with tipping things. We we got we have to have more hands to touch it. The the people that used to make it are welcome in this country no more right now, right? Like I mean I hate to say it, it bums me out because like the restaurant business was not broken until everybody started fucking with it. Damn. Is my opinion, right? Well, and not that I don't want everybody to get paid. I want everybody to be happy, but. You know, if you're a car dealership and you have 20% to pay your employees, that's what you do. Yeah. Restaurants the same way, man. You know, and if you have more, give more. Mm. But you got to get there, right? Mm. Yeah, and I never really thought of tipping and gratuity as a co sales commission. I just never really linked it in my head that way. But as soon as you said the salesmanship of a waiter and waitress. Oh, it's 100%. It's, I'm just trying to understand restaurants the way I understand because, my business. Right. Well, because at the same time, the example that we're giving, right, of the waiter in San Francisco making $180,000 right. a year, that also means his gross sales for that restaurant is probably oh, like three dude. million. That's what I'm saying. Right? So, it's the same. so if you have someone that's out there that's crushing the game and giving the restaurant three million in sales that can pay for that overhead or can pay for the salaries across the board, 
Well, then they, in some way, they earned it, right? I think there's like, so there's multiple perspectives. I think there is a validated pay disparity because right. of how tipping was set up. But then at the same time, salesmen in corporate structures can make tons of money in comparison to their corporate counterparts that don't do and, sales. And, and here's the other thing too, if that, if that restaurant has one server bringing in three million or has 10 servers bringing in, their average gross is 50 million a year, whatever it is, they're not paying their cook 48,000 a year. That's saving them. Yeah. Right, if they are, that's a company that should crumble and fall, we should all go pick it. Right, I mean, let's be honest. That shit right? has to be baller as shit yeah, people dude, are coming like, in. Like, you don't, you don't get to that place and produce that, that, like, in my opinion. Now, I'm sure that happens or whatever. There's always the fluke. I mean, welcome to America or whatever. But, like, that to me just seems like something that, that wouldn't have got to that place if that was the structure. Right? I mean, do you guys agree? Like, yeah, think about that, it. I mean, what good business? You have, you have Mercedes-Benz, right? They're not paying their mechanics 10 bucks an hour. No. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole business has to get elevated at that point. Exactly. What's funny is I was uh, on our last trip to San Francisco, considering this price, this pricing data that we're using is from San Francisco. Uh, I was in an Uber with a, uh, a Mexican-American brother of mine, and right. he, was, he was driving <laughs> around, and I was just like asking him what he did. And he was like, I'm a chef. I was like, oh, shit, word? Like, yeah. where? And he goes, Facebook. And I'm what? like, <laughs> what? Wow. And like, we're, I'm, in wow. his, I'm in his Uber. Right, right. Is this the guy from Psycho Donuts or different? No, it's a different guy. Different, different guy. guy. Um, go watch the Psycho Donuts video if you don't know what yeah. I'm talking about. That shit is funny as hell. I'm like, I almost looked it up right now. <laughs> what about. And so I'm, I'm, in this, I'm in this Uber and he's telling me about his ex-job at Facebook. So he doesn't work there anymore. He said he was made, I don't remember what he made, but it wasn't enough for him to live. So he right. started driving Uber on the side. And what I think that's interesting is he's, he left his job to work Uber Uber was definitely, in theory, doesn't segregate based on what you look like. Yeah, it just segregates care. on like, can you drive the car right. and take people and pick up these rides? And the harder you work, I don't, I don't necessarily support Uber, but the, the harder you work and the more hours you put in, the more money you make. So he essentially left his Facebook culinary job to work for Uber. So I think that's, it was just interesting to see on the ground in San Francisco that like being a chef at Facebook, he wasn't like the managing culinary director at Facebook, right. but he was running a kitchen on their Menlo campus or wherever it may be. And it was just interesting that he couldn't make ends meet there. And you're a chef at Facebook. You're, right. You know, you're not. Well, he, here's the other thing about the word chef. And, and you know, I, it, it cracks me up because I get, I get people all the time. It's like chef so-and-so is following you on freaking whatever. I look it up and it's like four strawberries with a thing of chocolate and it's some <laughs> monkey in his garage. Like, it, it dude, like that, title, that title takes no effort to put in front of your name. There's no like. Does that bother you? You don't have to. Nah, no, because you can look right at it and go, hey, who knows how to cook? Who doesn't, right? Like, like, hey, man, you're deep frying Twinkies. We know what you're doing. We appreciate you. However, chef should not go, Shay Twinkie guy should not be your freaking name do you think you should have to go to culinary school to and graduate to be able to put chef in front of your name the way I, I have to go to doctor school to get my PhD absolutely not I went to culinary school I know people that were I mean I'm telling you I learned more from guys that didn't go to culinary school than I learned I'm grateful for what I learned in culinary school it was like the science of a plate however in the real world culinary school is definitely not the answer mm. it's a perk if somebody doesn't come out an egotistical asshole like I did <laughs> right? I got knocked down a bunch however uh, you know I don't think it feeds that right you're like oh the French guy with the big hat I mean how did he get the name chef yeah he's and not like like 
who, there's no, there's no judgment for the doctor. You go, oh, that guy must be a doctor. I can look at these papers on the wall. Right. These guys are like, look at all the receipts I made at lunch, bro. I'm a <laughs> chef, right? Like, there's no, like, there's no, like, real, there's no determining factor other than if people respect what you do and call you chef. Right. That's it. Right. I mean, I don't make my, like, I, you know, I've, I've, I've gone in and out of chef's jobs and uh, when I go into a kitchen, I'm like, you call me chef. I'm like, dude, my name's Cody, you know? Yeah. And eventually after we cook for a little while, if I do my job right, you'll start hearing chef. That's how I look at it. Right. And if I don't, it's nothing personal. I didn't ask him to, it doesn't matter to me. Cause if I go down the street all the time. Somebody's like, Oh, nice to meet you. I'm chef Joe. I'm like, <laughs> nice cool coat bro that was 19 bucks at, at chef's place and you got somebody to sew your name on it that's pretty kosher in there homie right i mean I thought, you guys gotta get like that it cracks me up because i always hear that like people are like executive chef well traditionally the executive chef means you have like a hotel with numerous locations <laughs> that you're like overseeing and you're really not cooking you're like juggling paperwork and so this term of people that like took over one spot and it's like i'm the executive chef of 501c you're like dude that's one spot and you have 10 tables no you're a chef bro <laughs> if you are right mm. but saying you're an executive chef may sound cool to you but really that's the worst job in the business because you're not actually you're cooking, not cooking you're bro yeah. so if you're an artist and executive chef that means you're a paper pusher in the big bills right that means you're doing all the bullshit right so there's like <laughs> like to me i listen to these people and i'm like i feel bad you're saying the wrong thing bro yeah you know so it's just that reality cracks me up all the time. So if somebody's saying they're a chef, like anybody can tell you that. And there's no way to validate whether they are or not, except you go to the restaurant, see how people treat them and eat their food. That's yeah. it. Well, because the, the chef that left, the chef, quote unquote, that you met in an Uber that left from Facebook, and that's obviously in San Francisco, which right. is a weird market. Mm -hmm. But I have a theory related to, I do think we're in a restaurant bubble and that's not my theory. I mean, David Chang famously right. wrote about the restaurant Absolutely. bubble. So I think he's been um, a big provocateur related to that idea. And I completely agree with him because right. when Cody, when you mentioned that when you have a restaurant and there's 10 restaurants in the same block, that seems now like 12 or 15. And I don't oh, yeah. know if it's just me. Like, I'm an 80s baby. I haven't seen restaurant booms or as relation to stock market booms or anything like that. But the amount of people going, coming from outside of restaurants and outside of food and just making a steak in food like it's this hot new thing seems to me that there's restaurants everywhere. And right. that would make me think to believe that one, there's a pretty confirmed labor shortage. One, because of the politics of this country, but two, because there's restaurants everywhere. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, does that also mean like wages are more or less at their highest for talented chefs because you can be pulled 10 different ways with the fashion entrepreneur that's now opening a restaurant to comparison to the overseas guy that's now opening a restaurant. Restaurants have always been sexy. I know that. The, right. the, 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 the glam back, factor's up there. The right. glam factor of restaurants and nightclub has always been there, but there seems to be like this, uh, on top of that sexy entrepreneurism now with restaurants, that I don't know if you could speak to any of that at all. Well, yeah, well, this is what you're talking about, the handshake deal. This is why you hear the nightmare stories, dude. This is it exactly, right? Somebody goes, hey, I can do this. I have my, you know, I just got an inheritance is what we want to do. And he has a buddy that he's been friends with that just graduated culinary school that may be uber talented, but there's no reality to what the business actually does. Nor does anybody like, 
Like, look, man, Starbucks opened its first one. They, didn't, they probably didn't care at all. They just opened a coffee shop, right? The second one, then pretty soon, they, now they don't open a damn Starbucks without months and months of like figuring out who's there and who drives there. There's all this research that goes into it now because that's what it really takes to be successful in this business now. How are you taking your market share? How are you doing X, Y, and Z? And how are you playing into every little piece? And where's the next competition? And what are they doing different than you? Nobody, when they're being an artist or a chef, they just think they're unique. Mm. And there's, there's a, a place where that wins, and there's a place where you gotta make fucking fried chicken to make a living, right? And these people, and that's where the handshake comes in, is there's no reality based on the person who wants to open them now. There's the glam, and the chef that's like, I'm gonna be on TV, right? Or maybe somebody that's very talented, but they don't know quite what it takes to make the majority of people that walk through the door happy. Right? Well, this, how, this, many, how many stories you hear? It's not to cut you off. I apologize. Yeah, go but, for it. But how many stories you hear about chefs where they're like, we don't do substance. I mean, I was one for a while. I'm not going to make anything you want, right? Fuck, dude, I, you catch hell for that, right? Like, well, I'm allergic. Okay, I'll take that off. So pretty soon you start going, okay, I got to make money. How do, I, how do we feed most of these people that are annoying, whether I love you, hate you, or whatever, like make them happy because that's what's going to pay our bills. Right. You know, and that's the handshakes and that's the glam. And that's, I think, it, I think that once you get in it and you get, it's frustrating, especially now with Yelp. Yelp's the worst beast on the planet. Um, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's not, right? I'm not like a, a basher, but the truth is when it's not, it gets ugly real fast. And if, if you're at all attached to what you're doing and can't take criticism, you're shutting down your business. Yeah, yep. The glam's gone right away. One person has a bad day, five people comment, you're in the bathroom going, oh, I'm a horrible person, right? Like, you know, like, <laughs> and I've seen chefs just crumble under that because, you know, you, you think you're doing the right thing. You know, and they may be right or wrong. Yeah, because in the past, that's, that, that's the handshake. Before Yelp, the criticisms would come behind closed doors. They just wouldn't totally. come to your restaurant over time. Right. You would hear murmurs. It's all in numbers. But, but now, but now it's ingrained online. Like, oh, your food sucked. The service was whack. Right. This, all this noise. The bubble story is definitely supported. I feel by the sheer amount of restaurants opening, oh, Bill, the, yeah. the speed and brevity of them getting, and the lack of essentially soul. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure, soul experience. Yeah. I mean, the I idea. Think I think experience is a big one, man. Yeah. Because you no longer have to be a restaurateur to put, you know, money into a business. And that's never always only been the case. But the idea of being able to just open up a restaurant, I was successful in tech and then here's money for a restaurant. Right. Or my I just came up on this money, here's Chef Cody, like let's 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 open this restaurant together. Right. And you do that and you forget that the idea of most businesses in general fail. Right. So restaurants are even worse. Right. And when you open up 10, most will eight, eight are going to close. And so, yeah, there's a damn bubble right now. And so, and, and I've always had a problem from a business perspective. Here's my problem with restaurants, right? All the moving parts that you described, right? Every single moving piece from your front of house, back of house, infrastructure, whatever that is, all the people that's required and what are you looking at? Like on a good day, like 10 to 12% margin on food costs and like yeah. what's, what's good. Yeah, if you're killing it on food and not like high not like a, like a restaurant that would be in the normal practice, a chef driven restaurant, if you can pull 20 to 25% off food would be great, 15 is probably normal. Not That's probably, so 15 is normal. scary as a business. Well, especially people want to get into just food. Mm. Right, like, like all these people open these eateries and they're like, cool, well, eateries only work in volume. Why is McDonald's successful? Because you sell volume. Yeah. And their, their margins are locked. Why is Jack, why are fast food successful? Because they, you can drive your car 
through it and make your percent, right? One guy talked to you. One guy took your money. Yeah. Same guy cooking for everybody else is cooking for you. They've learned how to multitask what they're doing yeah. and sell a product that has a set margin. Now take a restaurant that does like, um, like a breakfast cafe that changes their menu. They're not, they're, their margins are going to switch from dish to dish, especially if they're not on top of it. Mm. They may make 40 on one, none on the other because they messed up. Every dish somebody likes, they throw away. If you're only making 15, if your food cost is 30%, you got to make two now of those same dishes to make yeah. up for that one that went in the trash. You know, your server messed it up. They're not locked in margins and you're not, you're not, they're not covering all their bases, right? So you're not, you don't have a drive-through. You don't have somebody, I mean, some of the to-go stuff has helped and some of it's ruined it, you know, but you're, you're locked in at food. It really 15 is a good take home, dude, if you're just doing food. So when you're right? saying just doing food, there's a big part of the bar that I'm assuming we can learn a lot about. Like, is that where a good amount of money comes Let, from? Let's, let's put it this way. What restaurant or chain restaurant do you know that's successful without a bar program? Like a quick serve, not, not, not like a fast food. Not fast food, food. Okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm, shit. TGI Fridays, very successful with one. Mm. So I mean, I can't like, think of so, one. So, yeah, is there like, there's, there's really, I mean, I'm talking about chains that you're like, oh crap, they're everywhere, they're consistent. Which one of one of those? Denny's. Yeah, the, Denny's. Do they have booze? They I don't have, know. They have, they have beer and wine. Do but, they? But oh, they're shit. also well, low price point and they also function on the same reality as fast food. Mm. Right? But they have beer and wine, but they're also 24 hours and who's their competition? True. Fair enough. Norms. <laughs> even, Norms. Even, even Waffle House. Yeah. Waffle House, right. So that, that's their genre. I'll give you that one. Um, but they're still not crammed for dinner, right? They're mostly a breakfast margin. So big chains that open, even like fine dining spots, whatever, they have to have a bar program. Your bar markup's gonna be your 65 to 75% markup on liquor, which you guys know, you go to the store, how much is beer at the store, and then you still go to restaurants and you'll pay yeah. six bucks for a Corona. Yeah. And nobody says anything. They're like, dude, that's great, dude. And even though it's a Corona, you no, begrudgingly. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're not happy about that. Unless we find that all you can drink sushi place. Yes. <laughs> we'll kill them all. Uh, but the, the, the truth is, that's where you make your money. And the more you can talk people into drinking and being more of a bar atmosphere, I believe right now, um, it saves you being able to pay everybody and do what you got to do. And then you can be creative with food. Because mm, you can you can afford to make a little less on the food at that point. You can take more risks is the way I like to look at it. Mm. If you're in my position, right, as a chef, somebody who wants to create new things and do things, if that's the only thing I'm doing, if I have a dish that doesn't win, this now I have like a, I have a catch basin, right? <laughs> I have a, and alcohol I have a, is your catch basin. Yeah, right? Well, this I is think, why alcohol will yeah. save the restaurant industry. Yeah, don't go to meetings. Come to the restaurant. We'll figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> but to me that's that's what that is you got to have some sort of you have to have multiple multi you know income facets yeah man. if you don't you're screwed man and, or and, or you have to be perfect doing the same thing every day that way you can turn it into a robotic production sure jeff how, was there anything in that article that you didn't like or didn't agree with um off the top of my head, I can't say I disagreed with a, a lot of it. I think I, I'm definitely resonating with Cody's other perspective of, well, don't just take the kind of 1% scenario and extrapolate it to restaurants across America, mm. which the $180,000 server is a 1% right. scenario. Right. Um, but I do think, in general, that there's still... Well, one of the major tones of the article was the fact that if you're a Latina server, first language not being English, then you're going to have a harder time getting a job and making the same amount of money as a person who 
is born here, Caucasian, and speaks English. And that makes sense to a certain degree because of the salesmanship, but I think it's just, it's also a hurdle that we have to recognize that it's not necessarily because they're doing their job. They can't do their job as good. Are they even getting their opportunity? So the same study that they were referencing was saying that they sent pairs of bartenders and servers and chefs and cooks into restaurants, one Caucasian, one not Caucasian, and they were this of the same experience level. And 50% of the time, people of color could get the job for, for the, in comparison to when a person of, of Caucasian color could get a job. Mm. So I think that's just, those were things that were interesting to me. And again, I think this exists across all industries. This isn't specifically to call out restaurants specifically. Um, but those were illuminating to me. And again, with my background of working next to mostly guys of color that they just killed me. Like I was a horrible buster. <laughs> like I have, I, I kind of like this Moscato. <laughs> Moscato's ass. And, and, it, and part of the reason why I was a horrible buster was because I needed to learn and I didn't have any real training. They just threw me in there and I was at like a five platinum diamond fine dining restaurant right. and had no idea what to do. Well, don't you think though that like, if I'm, if, even my bartending prime, if they were to fly me to Italy and go, here man, I'm gonna take you from America, you white guy from America that can tin bar like a mofo, <laughs> and I'm gonna take this Italian dude, same age, both white, and put you in an Italian restaurant, Man, that dude would have smoked me just with an accent and a whatever. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, isn't this true? I mean, to be devil's advocate, isn't this true anywhere? You try to put me in Spain as a chef and it's all Spanish culture, not like people tourists, but like Spanish culture. Like, cook for them. I'm going to cook them. Like, that's shitty. Yeah. Even though it's bomb here, right? I yeah. mean, isn't that the same? Isn't that the same everywhere for the most part? I mean, unless you're a third world country and they're like, you know, it doesn't matter. Right? But I mean, the, where, where we're industrial, like... Yeah, of course there's going to appease to the economy in some way. I just went to, which um, I, we went to St. Martin for my, my honeymoon in July, and uh, which is bummed. They're completely underwater right now. But uh, however, th that was the one place I've been. I guess it was 126 cultures on one island. And Whoa. nobody's from there. It's half owned by Dutch, half owned by the French, right? So it's like the Dutch is like uh, casinos, party strip clubs like restaurants are pretty good and then you go to the, like you go to the french side and it's like you can lay on the beach and eat caviar and tataki <laughs> and they bring you foie gras right same island 27 miles right i couldn't go there and compete with any of those guys even with like the dudes that are speaking french on the french side if i tried to serve even with them white guy for white guy the same old thing they have an accent it's all tourist dude no chica would look at me in any way shape or form over the dude with like the button up shirt and the roll up capri pants that speaks French, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I know it touches because that's where we live. But dude, I, I, I think that's everywhere. Yeah. I couldn't, I mean, maybe the food would speak in a tourist spot, but. You want someone familiar. Like, yeah, that's Wherever I mean. you're like, at, you're hiring familiarity. I, and, I think unless so. it fits with your restaurant to be a dick at that dick's place where the yeah, server's right? a dick to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Outside of that, like you hire familiarity. You want your guests to feel comfortable right. where they're at. And as it might seem racist to us here, that but 
when like I should yeah like you mentioned Cody like you can't be serving at an Italian restaurant if you can't oh, could you imagine everybody Italian? that has an amazing accent I welcome like what's up bro right like what like, like if that's like, like we get laughed out of the freaking place right like no money for you right like whatever it is it's just I think that that goes they're like oh fuck Kelly yeah, Slater's yeah. out here serving his wine hey surfer bro well let me I just think that that fits yeah well let me ask you another question uh, sure in relation to millennial entrepreneurs oh yeah 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 that's well that's what i thought your reaction would be and, I'm not, and i have no idea if you've worked with any or worked in collaboration with or if you've had a millennial owner that you've worked with i have no idea but what are what is your thought of the millennial contemporary restaurant owner and pros and cons or or look, but by the look at your face, it looks like a lot of cops. Yeah, dude, I, let's, let's put it this way. I, I, think, I think that everybody has their place. I don't think they've figured out how to get into the restaurant business because technically food at its basis, which we've lost, is slow. It's supposed to be about sharing meals. It's supposed to be about the time you spend with the people you eat. It's supposed to be about learning something about your food to me, learning something about your wine. It's supposed to be about celebration. It's but it's a time-consuming ideal. Right, like fine dining, last fine dining meal, or you go out to even nice dinner, whatever it is, it's a couple hours. Yeah, two, three hours. Two or three hours, right? When's the last time you were able to keep a, any millennial employee person to for like a half an hour? Like, yeah. like the brain doesn't go there, right? And it's not that to mean it's all bad, but why do you think quick service restaurants has come about minus the wage? Why do you think fast food took a turn up to better food? Right, they started making their ingredients known and whatever. Why do you think that, you know, the food courts have become so popular, right? I mean, you can go there and it's like ADD dining. I can spend three hours there, but I can eat 19 things, right? Like, right. and I can Instagram all of them and do whatever, which I'm a big supporter of all that because it does help. But it's it's turned what used to be um, about family and friends and you know learning something and all these creative like cultural things. No matter where you went. Which, in, which I'm telling you, with the French center there is like, we sat on the beach for five hours and I felt like we could have sat there for another five. Yeah. And I, if, I, I've never been to anywhere in America for five hours unless it was a pool in Vegas. <laughs> well, you start and feeling, I only remember about two and a half. Right? Well, so, right, you're right. The restaurants are set up for that here because right. you start feeling like, can I help you, sir? Yeah, like, are you good? Yeah, like, you're still here for 40? minutes. Like, what's going on? Like, why don't I have my drink? Table why turns. Yeah, table yeah. turns. And it's, it's just, it's not that. And I, I think that the more you look at how the, how the millennial culture is going to change it, you're looking at more the food halls and quick service and... Um, delivery. Deli yeah, delivery. Like, dude, the eat 24 and bring, the, bring it to my house. I, yeah. Look, man, I make some unbelievable dishes. They don't taste the same in a box out of a car, somebody else's car off the internet. They just don't, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they don't. However, some things do. Um, but I think the game's going to change into being very, I mean, lack for a better word, ADD'd out, right? Like, uh, I mean, it's funny. You see E24 and Yelp kind of speeding up that process with the delivery. But then you see places like McDonald's and Jack in the Box and Taco Bell, what used to be fast food, are building out these concepts that want you to stay in the store longer. So McDonald's will throw in Wi-Fi there. Taco Bell makes some shit that looks like a club in Vegas. Like you're now you're supposed to be in there well, because longer. There's, there's two options. Right now they already have the volume they need. What's happening is nobody likes an empty restaurant now. So if there's not people in it, then you're wasting space. So Taco Bell also came out with a restaurant that only has eight seats in it. They mm -hmm. started popping those up everywhere. So there's a drive-through and eight seats. Looks mm -hmm. packed all the time. Yeah. Well, no shit. It's eight people. Yeah. Right? It's 16 people. You know? But you look at like McDonald's when they started branching out, 
the, the most expensive thing when you have that plot of land is an empty seat in a restaurant. Your most expensive thing in the building, empty seat. Yeah, I mean, McDonald's, right? all, these places, but they're they're nixing so much stuff within the McDonald's and they have the same plot of land. Most McDonald's I go to now look like freaking libraries. Like right, they're right. so big, there's benches built well, to sit out there. Who are, they, who are they trying to get? They want people that want to sit there and Instagram and talk and do their homework. I mean, that that's the millennial culture, I think. I think that's part of more of an answer than what you're saying. I mean, they're trying to appease people that want to. It used to be you get in, you bring your kids, they jump in the balls, they get everybody sick, and you leave. Right? <laughs> like, wasn't that the thing? Right? You eat some nuggets, throw the ranch on the floor, and you're good to go. Now it's like there's got to be something to look at and something to do. It's yeah. not family based anymore. Mm. Right? I mean, how many? They, they got rid of the Playlands, uh, yeah. minus a couple or whatever, right? And they put in Wi Fi and nicer seats that aren't plastic so that when your kid pee on them, you can clean it right up, right? I mean, yeah. it's not like that anymore. It's not. It got away from family, in my opinion. Yeah. Is there is there an economic impact from our generation? And again, Food Beast, we contribute to this. But the fact that you, you said yourself, Instagramming is going to have an, an, a positive impact on the business. So you have to be aware of it. You have to oh, be kind of tuned yeah, in. Man. But then, right? But then you get into this culture of, well, I can only Instagram the new stuff or the over mm. stuff I haven't seen before. And is that affecting restaurants from your opinion? In fact, they have to either change their menu more often enough to where they're not set up for it. So again, there's that variation in food costs, but they're trying to trying to push something new out there and they're just doing it and they're not they don't know what it costs, but they but they got the Instagrammer to show up. Yeah, the PR or, money. How do I get the PR money? And so like how how is well Instagram specifically, but also like media and the quest for the new new, like how does that shape restaurants? Dude, I think it's what game you're playing, right? I mean, I think just like anything else, I think that everybody plays the game in this business, right? Like as a, as a chef, I'm lucky enough that I can go, I, I, can, I can play my percentages. I want 2% of my menu to be wow factor. I want everything to taste good. I need, you know, the bottom 10% to appease to a majority of the people, right? So somebody comes in and is like, I'm picky. You're like, cool, you need to order one of these five things, yeah. right? And they're still good. But I think the Instagram factor has helped it to be a direct line. Like um, when I first started in the business, I mean, you only had newspapers, right? So if you got a big article that lasts for like six months, right? Now, really, those articles always help. But now it's like, how many people can you get to motivate you? And how many things are coming out new? And sometimes being new is being different. And, and I've been lucky enough that I think that the people follow you guys, you know, even you guys, all your support is just because if you're out of the box, you're different now. Hmm. So I think some people don't know how to play the game of being original in you versus like, I'm going to make this thing made out of, you know, ostrich turd and everybody's <laughs> take a picture of it and watch this guy eating it. Right. I mean, I don't know. Right. Like, I mean, there's, I think there's different games to it. Right. I mean, you guys obviously know that's, that's, you know, thing you I, guys are pros at. So. I like what you do. Because what I remember about your kind of marketing strategy at all the restaurants I see is 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 Cody will just spawn up a Facebook live, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> random like, one. It'll be like in the middle of the day, like the restaurant's not open at that right. point. Like it opens yeah, in the yeah. afternoon, and Cody like puts his phone on the table, spawns up a Facebook live, and just starts talking about his dishes. Yeah. Like I was like, damn, bro. and he does it at every restaurant, so it becomes like a consistent Cody thing. And I was yeah. like, it's that's actually really different to me and what I'm seeing because like instead of like putting up this high contrast food photo on Instagram. Right. You're like, let me just like sit with you guys a bit and talk to you about this dish. And when the restaurant opens tonight, you're going to remember this Facebook live and maybe come in and hang. Well, I think that's because I'm, I'm basing the, f the, the fact that whether I like it or not, food is about sharing something new. 
So if I like it, I want to tell you about it. Yeah. And it's it's always been people like, oh, that that's goofy or that's whatever. I'm like, that's just me, man. It's the yeah, same. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you can love it, hate it, throw in the trash. I don't care. It's it's the same validity no matter what. Because when I cook, I like to I like to cook things that I like and things that appease to people. Um, but those those kill it, man. I mean, and and it's. I started doing them as a joke, right? To kind of make fun of everybody else. They were doing like the, check me out, bro. I'm in the kitchen with their tattoos and stuff. And I was like, I'm just going to put up food and talk and see what happens. And it, it's worked so far, right? I mean, yeah. this next spot's going to be a, a, a crazy adventure, but we're going to stick to the roots, man. Are you nervous right? about this new spot? So like, it yeah, sounds what like is you- it? Hey, dun, 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 dun. Uh, new spot, man. I I um, I want to, you know, I did. I just did Salt Nash, which they're blowing up right now, and put a full bar in. Uh, but I've given the opportunity to work with gentlemen, like I said before, that um, that are better businessmen and know what's up in their business, and are enlightening me a lot, and are allowing me the freedom to kind of do and put together everywhere that I've made the mistakes mm-hmm. to not do it again in the right avenue. Um, and back in downtown Fullerton, which we know will will absolutely crush and crushes all the time. Um, and uh, they, they want to open a spot called Reckless with me. I figured it was pretty appropriate. That, that feels right. Does it feel right? Yeah, that feels yeah, right for, for Chef was, Cody. Was up, like right? a, is it middle finger a logo? Or? No, 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 man. Reckless, like, uh, like shipwreck, like get wrecked, like, uh, like everything in the world that, that somebody thought was reckless at one point, mm. but it ended up being epic. I keep thinking about like walking on the moon or like the uh, the Muhammad Ali over Frazier and the Hunter S. Thompson of the world. It was like, that guy's a fucking nut. And then he turned up being just genius, right? Like that sort of thing. I look at kind of like um, uh, chefs that, that had to do what they had to do till they get till they get the break they need, you know? And you can, I mean, my whole past has been like walkouts on restaurants and crazy. And, you know, there's been a ton of good with the bad. And uh, I've been considered more than reckless, I think, several times in my life. Uh, and this is the one time to prove that the reckless, I think, wins. So, nervous? No, man. I think, I, I, I tell you straight out, this is going to be a fun journey. And so, mm. and it's a landing for me. This is an ownership tally, like we talked about before, being a business owner. So, that's the big somebody, difference. It's a, a like, huge difference. That, that, and that's the nervousness that could potentially come in. It's like, yo, this is, this is you. This is like everything right. there. This is the opportunity, for sure. Is it nerve-wracking? No, but this is the opportunity. Just like mm-hmm. you guys will see a stance to take an event or do something like that, you're like, how many times do you have it to do it right? Mm-hmm. And how many times you did it wrong and how do you not do that again? And after a while, you go, hey, man, we know not to do these, but we know this will win and let's take four risks here. And if they don't win, we can retract four, and, but we never really lost. Yeah. And that's how I feel right now. It's not nerves. It's like, I know that 90% of this is a home run. Now let's, let's play with that 10% to be different, to be crazy, to push the envelope. And then we can play with that the whole time we're open. Shit. Right? So, guys, this is the full circle. Yeah. You just saw someone <laughs> who was wearing a chicken suit. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I wish Fridays. I had a picture of that, dude. I would throw it out right now. <laughs> Hell yeah. If you can find if that picture. We will, we will put that yeah, as yeah. the podcast cover. I, 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 think, can, there's a, I think there's a camel can. toe in the bottom of the bird <laughs> for my. <laughs> And a full journey. I, pro- I pro- apologize. For you that. just finished the bottle of Moscato. Mm. <laughs> uh, you good, Jeff? I'm good, man. Can I can I shout out? Um, we put up an Instagram photo last week uh, about this podcast, and I just want to shout out Philly Food for real. Thank you for listening every week. Um, I was gonna read. He said you can find us in the club, bottle full of ketchup. 
and it was like on a picture of 50 cent so anyways i just want to <laughs> every week guys we're going to put up an instagram photo and leave your comments there and we'll read them in the podcast at the end so really thank you guys for listening thank you cody yeah, chef yeah. cody chef cody where can they find you on social uh, i'm at chef cody stortz on uh everything i believe it's all across the board where are you going to do so, your live streams uh live streams always on <laughs> oh, facebook twitch? yeah yeah <laughs> I'm gonna tweet. Hey, follow follow us at Jeffrey Cutnick at Book of Eli and at Food Beast. Obviously, thank you guys for listening. And here's to another uh, potentially shitty outro. I'm gonna finish this Moscato. <laughs> Thanks again, gentlemen. Thanks, Thanks Cody. <laughs>